Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdat Recaps, His Dark Materials with Peter Sagal. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. And we are joined by Peter Sagal. I have a question. <laughs> My question is, what did you and the listening audience feel about the new Peter Sagal of last week's show? <laughs> I.e., a Peter Sagal who would not viciously harsh on every aspect of this television show that we presume our <laughs> listeners enjoy, but would instead try to be positive and or silent as the circumstances depict. Did we, did we enjoy that? Well, what, what's, so, what's the verdict? So I actually heard through a common friend of Trisha's that the word Trisha used was creepy, I think. Creepy. Actually. Is, that, right. is that true, Trisha? I don't recall this at all, in fact, but that doesn't mean that I didn't say it. I <laughs> it think the things that I like about it are Peter using harsh as a verb. I like that very much. Yes. You ever heard uh, that before? I do, find, I do find the two positive Peter a little unsettling because it's just so different from what I know. It's almost as if you've lost your demon <laughs> yeah. or something. In a weird way, I'm wandering around. I do have the haircut for a person who's lost their demon. <laughs> oh, we we're going to get to that later intense. on. Yes. So today we're recapping season one, episode six of His Dark Materials. It was called Demon Cages, and it was generally pretty creepy. I, think I just want to say it was my, my favorite Sting album was the Demon Cages. <laughs> that is an throwback. obscure joke. Yeah, I don't, I don't really get it. <laughs> I once saw Sting in concert, so I like this joke. Thank wow, you. Wow, really? I have questions, but we should probably just carry on with the television show, huh? Yes. We did actually get a voicemail about you whinging. Should we just dive right in and listen Please. to it? Hello, Nerdette. My name is Chris. I'm in Crown Point, Indiana, and I would like to meet Adam, a previous caller from Crown Point. But anyway, my demon is a white fuzzy rabbit with blue eyes named Fred. And this week, I would like to be Peter Sagal's pinch hit whinger, because I think he and I were thinking the exact same things. The TV show is really watering down Lyra's character, which probably makes sense if you want it to be a children's friendly show and also a parenting friendly show. But for adult readers, it's kind of a disappointment. So I would just like to encourage everyone who has not read the books to do so. And even better, listen to the audiobooks because they are fabulous. And Peter, keep on whinging. I love it. All right. There's a, there's a pro whinge vote. Yeah. There's so many things I love about that voicemail. Yeah. I know. What if Adam and Chris, like, what if we set them up? That would be the best. Yeah, I Wouldn't think that they're going to be nerd friends now. Okay. I'll, I'll, Should I'll we see start a nerd at Crown Point, Indiana-specific dating app? <laughs> <laughs> For fans of this podcast? <laughs> yeah. You're swiping pictures of demons only. Oh. Hey, that's a great idea for a dating app. That's actually you pretty You post a picture amazing. of what you imagine your demon would be. Yeah. And if people like your demon, they oh swipe right. Oh, my God. I like that a lot. Okay. So most of the action of this episode obviously took place in and around Bullvanger. Yes. Should we talk about the scene in normal life world just to kind of get it out of the way and sure. then we can go through the there, chronology it was very of brief. Bullvanger? It was. There was not much this week, which I wasn't 
sure how much yeah. we'd get. That's Although like, you did get Hot Priest on a screen. We did get Hot Priest on a screen. That's true, which it was very exciting, yeah. in fact. I'm not, I, at this point, I, I can't even remember what the point of that scene was. What was the point of the scene? It came and went so quick. I mean, I think the point of the scene, was, we had the dudes in the van, yeah, watching. creeper mustache, yeah. uh, talking about how they're not going to do anything yet because she knows they're watching and that's enough. Yeah. And then it established that Will is like definitely interested in like figuring out more about right. his father. Yeah. And I'll also note that in the, um, you know, previously on His Dark Materials, they replayed the narration that we talked about in last episode, talking about how special this boy Will is. Mm-hmm. So they, they really wanted us to know, boy, that Will, he is really important. Even you though. Don't, there's no, you've seen nothing to indicate his importance. But trust <laughs> us, he is. That's a little whingy. Yeah, I feel I feel full on whinging coming on just so people know. <laughs> yeah. No, but as Trisha is saying, I think you're right that like the character development of that scene is actually pretty important because it means that he's he's becoming curious about the things that have yet to come, right? Right. Well, and I meant of John Perry too. We see him as mm-hmm. this sort of affable, sweet, sciency guy who is excited to tell his son about the adventures he's going on and he mentions I'm going to write some epic letters. And so it's also the indication to the bad guys who are trying to find out how they can find out what John Perry knows that letters should exist somewhere in the house. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So those letters are going to be perhaps, I mean, there might be a scene coming up in which the guys break in to find those letters because we're establishing that they're important and these guys want to know something and that might lead to a mm-hmm. a, a confrontation of some kind mm-hmm. in which things are revealed. Mm-hmm. And, which, and I must say, though, seeing... Andrew Scott, the actor who plays John Perry and also yes. Hot Priest from Fleabag, has another important role that often appears on screens where he is not. And that's Moriarty from BBC Sherlock. So this mm-hmm. was giving me some Moriarty vibes. Even though he seems very sweet in it, he does as Moriarty at first, too. So now I'm all like, oh. just because of Andrew Scott's you know, IMDb page, I am now feeling a little unsettled by him. I will say I don't know what it says about this TV show that the character that at least you guys are most excited about has not yet appeared yet. Well, he did on in the YouTube videos. Yes. Just then. Just then. I would also like to thank both of you, Peter and Trisha, for discussing The Hot Priest just enough in these recaps episodes to inspire my mother to watch Fleabag faster to get to season two when right. we actually see the hot priest. And has she enjoyed Fleabag? Yes. You know we, I care. She was, she was in town last week and we we watched some season two of Fleabag. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty tame compared to the things you often watch <laughs> together. So Bullvanger is terrifying. I think they did a very good job of establishing those scenes. Of yes. It's just like how scary this location is. I may whinge a lot, but I will point out things that I liked. And the production design of Bullvanger is great. Yeah, I think also just like that initial scene of Lyra walking in and seeing Roger and seeing how terrified Roger looked yeah. to see her. Yeah. I thought was really interesting. Yeah, well. but Roger, Roger, we have not talked about because he hasn't been in the show much of late, but that young actor is quite good. Yeah, he has a very good scared face. Yes, he does. So from there, let's see, they take this girl named Bridget mm-hmm. and bring her into the severing. Yeah. And you see that very creepy, like, nun nurse. Yeah. Sister Clara. Is yes. that it? You got the name? She seems very zealous. She seems very zealous. Yes. Like well, the kind of character who never And blinked. demonless. She is demonless, it seems. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. We find out later. What was her demon's name? Was it Michael? Oh, she mentioned it later. Yeah. Yes. Nicholas? Yeah. Nicholas. There was, there was the woman who was sort of the scientist 
Dusty-like person who was running the equipment in charge yeah. of the machinery. Uh-huh. The boozy the, scientist? Yeah. The oh, yeah. She's, she's often seen with a drink in her hand. You're yes, right. Yes, yes. But you're not talking about her. You're talking about the much more sort of sisterly yeah, matron yes. type. She's wearing sort of like yeah, almost like a, orderly. A wimple? Like, this is yeah. the best place yeah. we could possibly be. Yeah. Exactly. And, and then f- from there, Lyra or Lizzie, as she sort of is at this point, mm-hmm. gets her measurements taken. Yes. And she has a really interesting conversation with the doctor, who's not to be confused with Doctor Who, obviously. What happens to the children that leave this place? Where do they go? To a place for more grown-up children, of course. So they don't die? Don't cut their demons away? Lizzie, uh, this is a philosophical establishment, not a child chop house. Now may I take my picture? Dun, dun, dun. I'm going to say that the device that he was using, which looked to me like a dentist's x-ray machine, seemed a little out of place given the, and I'm going to say it right this time, steampunk aesthetic <laughs> of the show. It seemed weirdly clean and electronic mm. in a way that we haven't yet seen, so I don't know about that. It was also a weird conversation because um, Lyra started by doing the thing that she had done with Mrs. Coulter saying, I know about dust. Mm-hmm. But when he's like, what do you know about dust? Instead of like, Going away, she backed off it. She said, yeah. "Oh no, I'm I'm very clean. There's no dust on me." Is it? Yes. Yeah, that was clever. I thought that was cool. That was such a great example of. I think I feel like in this episode in general, we saw a lot more of Lyra as she is in the books. Yes. in terms of thinking on her feet and you know jumping into chaos. Right. And she even has that fun. line where she says, "I'll do what I do best, which is cause chaos." Yes. And and my reaction to that was, well, yes, that's what she does in the book. In the TV show so far, she's been less that and much more passive and being dragged around. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a scene where it, it's really important for her to take charge, right? Yes. Like the whole point is she comes in, she sees all these kids. She's like, uh-uh, this isn't going to work. People are right. coming. We got to get out of yeah. here. And, and the, the sequence or chapter in the book that more or less uh, corresponds to this particular episode is in many ways – the best chapter in the book, I say, having recently read it, because it's the scene in which Lyra, who has been this character from the beginning in the book, this incredibly active, sort of not reflective, but just immediately acts kind of character, really comes into her own. That basically this, what is she, 11, 12-year-old girl comes in and basically busts those kids out. And it's really great. And it seemed like they tried to give us that character in that sequence without having established it beforehand. I wonder mm-hmm. if people who ha- are watching the show, Trisha, for example, were like, oh. Oh, who, me? That, you, you, for example. <laughs> did you look at that that sequence of whole, you know, basically the whole episode? I'm like, and who going, is this? And going, oh, wow, how come we haven't seen that before? I was like, yeah, that's Lyra. That's who we knew she was. What'd you think? Um, that reminded me of the Lyra from like some of the very, very first scenes in Jordan College, where mm-hmm. it seems like when she's among other children, she is sort of instantly the ringleader. Yes. Whether it's just Roger or, you know, she's running from roof to roof, but she also seemed to have sort of sway over all of the other folks who worked in the kitchens and then anyone she ran into in the hallways. You know, she was sassing the professors when she bumped into them in the hallways and that kind of thing. So I felt like the very first episode established a fair bit of that. And so I could kind of lean into that Lyra that I knew, which I'm guessing there's much more of, as you're saying, in the books. But I think it worked. It also made me think of uh, just sort of like how in most kids lit, there just sort of aren't that many adults around often, or they are only villains. Mm -hmm. And so when the adults are clearly all villains, she's like, all right, I know what to do. I don't have to defer to Lord Fa or Fartacorum or Ma Costa. Like, I'm in charge here because these are definitely all bad guys. 
Yeah, that's really fun insight. And I think you're totally right where it's yeah. just like, nope, we're we're doing this. Yeah. I don't give a shit about any of these other people. I'm <laughs> sorry about the cursing, <laughs> Marcel. Uh, I, didn't, I did notice they did something, uh, and this is related to what you just said, that is pretty common in kids' TV in the sort of Star Wars way. In the Star Wars universe, most of the bad guys are wearing helmets so they don't seem like people mm-hmm. when you shoot them, the stormtroopers. Uh, that's because the same at kids, uh, and this had the same way. Most of the people who were killed by the good guys were these shadowy Tartars whose faces you never see. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. like video game villains, yeah. and it's it's just an easier way of handling violence when you don't have to look at the faces of the people who are being killed. And it's common to use in all kinds of kids' entertainments. That's what orcs are for. Yeah. So most of the voicemails we got this week were. Uh, pretty enthusiastic about this episode, but we did get at least one person who was disappointed. And she actually sent us this voicemail with the subject line, episode six, turd emoji, turd emoji. (laughs) Hi, Nerdette and Peter. I am a new listener, but fast fan of the show. Uh, I am a book reader and a show watcher. And like Peter, I started rereading the books and I just think that might have not been a great idea I was a big fan of the scenes where Lyra was at Ballvanger I thought that they really showed how clever and cunning she is which I think is important for her character as the story progresses and it just it just didn't hit the mark uh, the battle between the Egyptians and the Tartars in the book is so vivid and scary and there's such great imagery in the book that they just did not achieve in the show. And don't get me started on the flying of the single witch. Like now she's just, you know, <laughs> super magical. <laughs> she's not like that in the book at all. So, yeah, I, I'm having a hard time separating the book from the show. But Either way, I'll probably keep watching. Uh, If I had a demon, it would probably be a fat, lazy cat, something kind of like Garfield. Thanks so much. (laughs) Enjoy the show. Uh, Her demon hates Mondays. Yeah. No, she's, I think she's right in every respect. I think I I agree with everything she just said, including the battle scenes. You may remember when we first talked about Yorek, the polar bear. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, later on in the book, anyway, that bear does some really violent things. And which I'm kind of for because it makes him a figure of terror yeah. more as well as kind of a cuddly friend. Which I think they did kind of establish in that earlier scene, which they did soften from the books they did of soften, him running but, through town. But there's a, there's a scene in the book that I remember very vividly in which the – well, I just read it. Are you about to spoil it? No, because it was week? in this battle sequence that we oh, just saw. Oh, okay, okay. In which uh, Yorick swipes with his mighty claw at a – Tartar, that is one of the bad troops, stormtroopers, strikes at his demon so strongly that he kills the demon. And when he kills the demon, the Tartar falls dead. And it was very cool. It shows Yorick's power and his his cold-bloodedness. And the idea of being so powerful to kill a demon with a blow was really intense. And you never – I mean, when you saw Yorick fighting – he fought by knocking the guys into each other. The classic, you know, cheap violence thing where you knock a guy, he hits another guy, and they both yeah. fall down unconscious. Yeah. Domino stormtroopers. I don't know. I will disagree. I think this episode was actually the closest to how I pictured it from the books that we've seen yet. It followed the plot more closely, although it differed in some ways that, you know, not surprisingly, 
old Peter's back, I didn't like. <laughs> uh, and I can give you some examples, but I don't want to get in the way of where you were going. I have a quick uh, question for you, book readers, yeah. that uh, I th- I think maybe you will know, or maybe I just missed it, and the TV viewers will also know and say, Trisha, duh. Um, but basically, when they're trying to drag Lyra in to be tested, right? Yeah. yeah. They grab Pan, and it seems like just touching him makes her faint. Yes. So is that like is is anybody t- is a human touching someone else's demon yes. so painful that yes. that alone causes that much pain? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it part of it was that they he grabbed the demon, right? Uh-huh. Like he was, you know, it wasn't like he was just patting that demon on the head. Yeah, but, but he also yes. wasn't like squeezing the life out of pain right, right, or right. anything. No, it's like super, super, super taboo to touch somebody else's demon. Yes. Okay. That, it's that's what like I thought. Very creepy and horrible, and it should almost never happen, essentially, unless you're like lovers. And then some of those rules change. Yeah. Sure. All right. Well, I, mean, I don't know about refer- all that. But he <laughs> refers to it as the taboo. Because yeah. of the taboo, says writes Philip Pullman, he would it was so crazy to do that. You don't touch somebody else's demon. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's yeah, because like, Pan was imagine. fine a few seconds later, and she was still no, sort of knocked when out they cold. Threw him in that little cage. Yeah. 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 Um, let's go back a little bit to, we discussed it a little, the, the drink, the doctor's drinking in what one listener called the creepy teacher's lounge. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Word for it. (laughs) Oh, totally. We are on the edge of magnificent discovery. That is the line we need to reinforce. She mustn't be allowed to focus on the mistakes. Do you think we are on the edge of discovery? You doubt it. There are times when I do worry. This is just pain we're causing. How many more children have to die before we get it right? We are doing what is necessary. We get this right and we will truly free generations from tyranny of sin. And the magisterium will recognize and celebrate us for the job we've done here. And if we don't? We can and must succeed. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. It's interesting. That's not in the book. I don't remember. Uh, mm-hmm. A moment with the villains, otherwise faceless, to see how they feel about what they're doing. Being I totally villain. understand the instinct on the writer-producers to say, hey, you know, these people are running around doing these terrible things to children. We need to see why they're doing that from their perspective. Mm-hmm. And I kind of – I appreciate that. I, I, would, I would probably, given the same job, have the same instinct. Hey, we need to explain why these people are doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it was successful. It, did, it certainly didn't make me go, oh, yeah, I guess I can see it from their perspective. It just made them seem creepy, which we knew. Yeah. Well, I guess it does kind of speak to the long tradition of various super intense religions to yes. – do really horrible things in the name of what they call a greater cause. Right. Right. Like, yeah. I think it does kind of place that. Yeah. And what's interesting, though, is, you know, uh, we've talked about this before. The magisterium is a religious authority, but they never talk about the, how they're the, oppressive. Well, well I mean, we've society. talked about that, but they never talk about their religion. Oh, Actually, right. I mean, in fact, like the, the tenets of the tenets of the religion. Are they Christians, for example? Uh, do they believe in uh, Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ and came and saved us from original sin, um, which is something that comes into it? Because we uh, remember the name of the show is from Paradise Lost, right. which is a Christian right, book right. 
about the original sin in Adam and Eve. Yeah, I would and say the it's definitely man. like Christian adjacent. Right, but they never talk about that. Right. So because they never talk about that, it just seems like they're working for God Corporation or you know Magisterium Inc. God that they're Corp. just they're just bureaucrats doing what their bosses are telling them. God Corp and God Cops. Exactly. Works. And uh, I wonder, I don't know if that is sufficient for what they're doing. Because, and again, I'm, I'm being a little coy because having read the books, I know what the what they're trying to do. They hint at it mm-hmm. um, in this. But it's, it's, it's a very religious thing that they're trying to do. And since they're not established actually religious, it's kind of hard to understand. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Let's check in with Courtney and Marcel. Hi, Greta. Hi. Um, Wait, Trisha. Greta, Trisha, and, and Peter. Yes. <laughs> you is, got it. This is Courtney and Marcel. We're, we're messaging you from Indianapolis, Indiana, and we just watched His Dark his Materials. His Dark Materials episode six? Yeah, it was it? six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we thought it was pretty weird. What? I didn't think it was weird. I thought it was good. I thought it pulled together everything well, that we've It was we've creepy, been... too. It was a little creepy, but we saw, like, the purpose of the armored bear. Yeah! And <laughs> we saw what the Tartars looked like. But we're excited yeah. for the next two, the final two episodes of this season. Yes, I want to see them. I think the next one's about getting Azrael back, and then the last one is about having time, like, together. Oh, that sounds okay. nice. Hmm, I want to see that. <laughs> it does that sound nice. Yeah. So, anyways, thank you. I like that they had a slight bit of disagreement. I know. I was like, oh, no. Let, let no sunlight come between them. Exactly. Courtney did also in her email say that her niece works in CGI, and she told Courtney that it would cost about a million dollars to produce CGI demons for everyone in an hour-long show. And that that's her best guess, considering the fact that she doesn't actually watch the show. I have a friend. So, for what it's worth. Uh, I have a friend who worked for many years at Pixar as a computer engineer, oh, helping yeah. them design their systems. And I put the question to him. Are we? And basically the question is, is the reason we're not seeing as many demons as I would want to see because of prohibitive cost? How much does it cost to stick? I mean, like per demon, what's the cost per demon? Yeah. You have one demon in the scene, what's, what's the cost of another one? And he is... He hasn't let tell. He hasn't told me yet, but he's uh, working on he's, it. He's doing the math. Well, what, what, what he did tell me is that CG, and I don't know anything about it. But what I had wondered: there's so much CGI now in TV. Even like you know, half-hour sitcoms have CGI, like The Good Place. Yeah. That I kind of assumed that CGI was getting to the point where, say, music is now. You don't need a whole orchestra. You press a button, you have a violin section. You press another button, you have a drum track, whatever. Uh-huh. I.e., it's desktop level. I can throw in a, yeah. an animal. I can throw in a car. And, and the answer to that is no. It's nowhere no. near that. <laughs> so every, you know, it's just like The answer to that is long. how dare you. It's yeah, the answer not is like, a no, click and drag no, situation. No. So Mrs. Coulter makes it to Bullvanger. And uh, Lyra forms a little, a cool little girl squad. She talks them all into being on her side and yes. helping protect her from Mrs. Yeah. Coulter. Yes. And then she does what Justin in his notes called a two-minute inverted row, hiding under the bed. Yeah, that takes some upper body She's strength. Like she pulls herself some core yeah. strength. That's yeah, tough. That's real hard. I also think that monkey is officially really stupid. Yeah, the monkey couldn't find her. Come on, monkey. Right? Yeah, the monkey. I don't know is that like he's trying to, be... to though. Well, but like you, like he was like there was a girl missing from the bed. Like he's sniffing around by the bed. You'd think he would notice. Yeah, there was another shot in which people, somebody walked down a hallway, past a corner where 
the, our heroes were plastered against the wall oh, and didn't yeah. see them. Yeah. That never works in real life. You only <laughs> see that in movies. Because if you, were, if you were walking down a hallway and there was someone flattened against a wall just to your right, right, you'd go, oh, there's a person there. Oh, see hello, them. person in the <laughs> yeah. corner of my eye. Yeah, exactly. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, so from there we have the Egyptians climbing mountains with very large sleds. Yeah. That was a weird sequence. Which, was that just to indicate that, oh, my gosh, the Egyptians are slow. They're not going to get there in time? I think what it was, because I was like, why do we, why are they, like, ditch the sleds, y'all. Yeah. This is not a good idea. Yeah, they were like the Grinch up there holding onto the sled but before I it went down the mountain. I think the reason they did it was to to justify the existence of the hot air balloon at the end. Yeah. Because otherwise, how would Lee have been able to show up there with that balloon? Right, like yes. The, the balloon is what's on the sled. Yes, exactly. And I and, think it also uh, helps show, like, it is a perilous journey they're on, too. Like, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, I mean, you could have, for that purpose, Greta, you could have just shown them just slugging these sledges with the balloon basket on one. You yeah. didn't need to show them almost falling down a ravine. That's true. But I think for the treachery of it all, it's important. Yeah. And then after that scene is when... Lizzie is called to the cages, which is a really intense scene. It is a very intense scene, although here we go, more whinging. It's not as good as it was in the book. Uh, and, and, and this is what I mean by that. Yes, they did the design great. The, that guillotine thing was really scary. Yeah. The way I, I loved how... and Oh, and that tiny cage, like how she has to crouch in Yes, it. and I loved how, well, for lack of a better word, violent they were about getting Lyra into yeah, it. How throwing she screamed, pan throwing, in there. Throwing, it was, oh. it was, that all was great. In, but... In the book, that all happens... And it is described so quickly, like they did this, they did this, they threw her in there, they charged up the machine, that even though I had read it before, I actually was worried this last time they were going to sever Lyra from her demons. I know. It was, yeah. Yeah. They did a good job of that, even for the book reader to be like, wait, this is getting way closer than I thought we were going to get with this. And at the very last second before the button is pushed, Mrs. Coulter appears Mm -hmm. and says, wait, stop, Lyra. How nice to see you. And Mm -hmm. removes her from the cage. And she Mm -hmm. steps into the last minute and saves the day. So what did they change? They changed it in a significant way because now what happens is Lyra says, Mrs. Coulter will be upset. Mrs. Coulter. Talk to Mrs. Coulter. She invokes Mrs. Coulter. Yeah. And then they sort of, I don't know how Mrs. Coulter comes into the room exactly. She sort of stumbles in. Well, because there's a delay. And she's like, what's with the delay? It's like, what's going on? So Mrs. Coulter's initiative in the book is taken from her and given to Lyra. Lyra is the one who saves herself by invoking Mrs. Coulter, which I understand. It's like, okay, that makes Lyra more active. Mm, yeah. But at the same time, it one of the things I noticed throughout this episode was the diminishment of Mrs. Coulter. She's obviously been the villain. She's obviously been more complicated emotionally than the villain she was in the book, and most villains tend to be. But in this episode, she seemed almost helpless and miserable and so conflicted as to be impotent. She just, I mean, there, there's even at the end, she ends up instead of like yeah, escaping like from Bullbanger, she's just kind of cowering. Yeah. Even this moment in which she's in the, in the book, she steps in and by expressing her absolute authority, saves Lyra, is reduced to being a kind of, well, what's going on? Oh, well, what's Lyra doing here? Wait a minute, what? And that to me is a diminishment of her as a good villain. So do you think that the conversation that Mrs. Coulter and Lyra have in the next scene helps that at all? Well, what I noticed about that is how t- is how almost pathetic hmm. Mrs. Coulter seems. She doesn't seem like this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm certain about what I'm doing. 
Uh, she seems like almost apologetic. No, this is there's really a good reason, and 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 I, I promise you, Lyra, this is this is a good thing, and I'm not a bad person. Really, I'm your mom, and I love you, and I'm not. And that's like that's not. I don't know, strong, and I want her to be stronger. Yeah, let's listen back to some of it, because this I think this was a really big scene in terms of at least giving her an opportunity to kind of try to explain herself, yeah. and it's long, and it's a very wide-ranging conversation. So we actually pulled a couple different clips from it, and we will listen to them right after this break. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that and it's Chicago based. So you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. All right. It's dust. You're after dust. Dust is not a good thing. Grown-ups are infected so deeply that it's too late for them. Condemned to a life of sin, guilt, and regret. This is for a better future. A better life. A life without power would not be a better life. Your demons are wonderful companions and friends to you when you're young. But at the age that we call puberty, an age you're coming to very soon, darling, demons bring all sorts of troublesome thoughts and feelings. And that's what lets dust in. A little abrasion before that. And you're never troubled again. If it was so good, you should have let them do it. You should have been glad. Every boundary in experimental theology requires the sacrifice of the few for the many. Once we've ironed out the teething problems, this will change the world. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, that is the most holistic explanation we've heard yet. Yes. For why they're trying to do what they're doing. And my perspective is like, all right, that's almost the whole story because I know the whole story having read the books. Trisha, what do you think of it? I think what struck me most about that scene is realizing and sort of connecting the dots why Mrs. Coulter is doing this work and the added weight of her like her her backstory is one where mm-hmm. lust which is sin in her eyes ruined her life. It created Lyra, yeah. but it ruined her life. It she meant made that her a huge horrible decision. Her affair with Azrael. Right. And sh- and the reason she's mean to her demon is that she blames the demon for being her sort of irrational, emotional side, right? And so that's why she's always sort of like knocking her demon on the head and all that, because she hates her own emotions. And she also thinks that she is genuinely going to help people from making crushing mistakes like she made that come from lust, basically. Yes. One of the things that we're starting to get I think I can say this without being a spoiler, is that incredibly interestingly for a children's bit of children's literature and um, challengingly for a TV show adapted from it, this is a show that is about, at its base, sexual sin. I, the idea of sin as related to sexual desire, because that's what puberty is about. That's what 
you just talked about, Trish. You got all that, that she is not – when she thinks about her sin and the sin she's trying to end, she thinks about sexual mistakes. I don't know, though. I think at its more essential level, I mean, it's original sin, which, like, you could right. redefine as sexual sin. But I think that's what it really – it's about – it's about the idea that humans are inherently imperfect and that right. we will always disappoint God. Right. But that is related to sexual maturity in a very distinct way. Because what's puberty? That's sexual maturity. Sure. But that's when your demon settles. And Mrs. That's Coulter when... thinks the most evil thing she did is fall in love with James McAvoy for a hot minute. Right. <laughs> Which, I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? <laughs> I would. I'm just saying. Those sweaters, man. <laughs> Speaking of sweaters, I just... Hit the microphone. I was so excited. Yes. The Bullvanger snowsuits are kind of awesome. They are. You mean the ones the kids wear? <laughs> yeah. You like them? Yeah. I feel like they're they shiny. This is, this is they're the, cool. The, this is the Greta Johnson winter wear seal of yes. approval, which is nice. <laughs> we should get you a sticker like Oprah's Book yeah, Club, really like should. approved. <laughs> this winter yeah, wear is approved. Awesome. I think they're very good. But anyway, I didn't mean to change the subject so intensely. Anyway, I, we, yeah, we, I we mean, were talking about sexual sin. I, it, <laughs> Because it's about Paradise Lost, Paradise Lost is about innocence and experience. It's about Adam and Eve walking around naked, not knowing they're naked. It's about Eve taking the apple. It's about knowledge. It's It's, about them being aware of themselves sexually, covering themselves up. It's also just about refusing God's will, though, I think. It's about a lot of stuff. I do still think, though, that Mrs. Coulter is performing her emotions more than having them. And I don't mean that as a judgment on Ruth Wilson, the actor. I mean that the character, Mrs. Coulter, like in any moment where Mrs. Coulter is alone, but we, the viewer, can see her, she's almost dead behind the eyes like Sister Clara. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my initial thought, especially with that scene, was like, oh, now she's going to pretend to be a good mom. Like, And and they're both pretending at each other in this scene, right? Because, you know, Lyra is trying to get her on her side just enough so that she can book it out of there. Yeah. She's intending to flee. That scene, that moment where they scream at each other from opposite sides of the door. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. Speaking of intense emotions. That was pretty good. All right. I've been whinging a lot. That was pretty cool. You liked that. I did because it was so like raw and unexpected and weirdly human and real. Yeah. In in a show that has been layered, if you'll excuse me, in bullshit. Well, and I think how similar they are, like in both of those moments, neither, they're just both so frustrated and angry Yeah, that the fact that they display that in the same way, I think is fascinating. And Jonah actually had an insight into Jonah. that as well. Jonah. Our buddy Jonah. Where's he been? Well, this here whole he hour. is. <laughs> hey, Nerdette, it's Jonah from Chicago. In the scene where Lyra and Mrs. Coulter were screaming at each other through the locked door, did anyone else hear in those quick cuts kind of the same cadence as those awful Pepsi commercials where uh, people were screaming what's up to each other through the phone. Oh, right. I know that might seem a little out there, so I'm playing the clip. Okay, now here's the end of the Pepsi commercial that I'm starting to remember the appeal of. a random connection. That's uh, all we got from Jonah. That's what week. we got from Jonah's doing his best to make sure he gets on the show every week. <laughs> Jonah's, apparently. Jonah yeah, brought clips. 
clips. Yep, he's he's got clips. Yeah, I guess I guess I can see that that there was an echo of the was up commercials of what was it the mid nineties late no early two thousands. I don't As somebody who more often gets earworms about just the spoken word than actual musical things, I can oh, totally yeah. relate to Jonah in yeah. this moment. I had like a bit of a John Mulaney stand up line sort of looping in my head earlier today. So Jonah, what? I feel you. I got you. Okay. In fact, that is a Budweiser ad, not a Pepsi commercial, but we get the gist. Yeah. So from there, Lyra pulls the alarm. Yes. And uh, I did really love the futility of the scene where she's trying to put on her winter clothing as quickly as possible, because as someone who grew up in an Arctic climate, it always takes longer than you think it's going to. Right. You know? I actually thought that she was doing, it wasn't so much for her comfort, but it was like, these are my clothes. I'm not going to go out in the yes, world wearing these sure. people's bull- yeah, no. clothes. These are this is like the yeah. Lyra's outfit. It's like Charlie yeah. Brown putting back on his striped shirt. So we got to get it done. Yeah, I, I just want to stop and say something that one of the things I've noticed, and this also has to do with an episode of Watchmen they just broadcast, mm. that in in TV shows, if there are doors that are controlled by panels, right, of like key panels or yeah. palm panels, you can make them open by smashing them, and you can lock them closed. By, by smashing, smashing them. them. Hmm. They're just a universal applicable thing. Whatever you want a door to do, which is weird. It's a design. De- it's, it seems like a design defect on these <laughs> high-tech doors <laughs> that if you just want it to open, instead of actually putting in a key or a keypad, you just smash it. And if you want it to lock, smash it. That is an interesting distinction there. Yes. I or have another viewer-only question. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, it seemed like maybe we missed a, a moment to explain why she was able to keep her personal possession of the tin oh, that had the yes. spy fly. Yes. But then, oh, Lord. Like, what was that just? Do I just need to ignore the fact that it's like, you know, she's basically entering a prison. Like, all of her clothes are in that bag. She doesn't have them with her, but yet she happens to have the spy fly on her when she's right, in that and room. And where is the alethiometer? That was such a, a, a boneheaded mistake on their part. I can't imagine. I literally can't imagine what they were thinking because. If you've read the book, and Tricia, obviously you haven't, so you don't know this, there's a sequence of scenes in which she prepares for that moment. This is what she does. She takes she, – she, she, and you don't know why she's doing this, which later on makes her seem even smarter. She asks Yorick, who has skill with metals, to make her that box mm-hmm. and to seal – the spy fly, which they've been carrying around right. since it first showed up which in the Which the boat. Egyptians did right. in the show. And she asked them to seal that into a box specifically so it looks like a lithiometer. It looks the same size and shape as an lithiometer. Mm-hmm. And you don't know why she's doing it. They say, okay, and then and, you know, the narrative says, and Lyra went to York and said, can you make me a box about this size? You don't know why she's doing it. And yeah. then in the scene where she – where. Mrs. Coulter demands the alethiometer and right. she hands over the box, opens it up. The spy fly comes out. You're like, oh, my God, Lyra, you are so smart. You set up that booby trap because you know you'd need it. Yeah. Since we don't see any of that, I'm not even sure, Trisha, that you – I'm amazed, Trisha, you even knew it was the spy fly because that's so quick and all you oh, do is kind of I hear the voice. I don't know. I feel like they spent a fair amount of time on the spy fly. Well, I know, but that for like three episodes or yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, it was a long no, time ago. Farter yeah, Corum put – when they were on the boats, he put it yeah, into that tin for her. And she yeah, was exactly. going to chuck it into the uh, – Water at one point. Yeah. And right? Ma Costa told her not yeah, to. Yeah. Exactly. And and so that to me was like, I don't know why they did that. What was their thinking? Well, like, we don't need yeah. to establish this. We can just do it. It seems to me like the way to get around that would have been to have Mrs. Coulter very indignantly tell the doctors that Lyra wasn't going to wear the Bullvanger kid outfit and she needed her own clothes back. And then she oh, could get her worked. stuff back that had been yeah. confiscated. 
Yeah. Because, yeah, it that, that part didn't really I, I just wondered. Right. I mean, it just seemed like a boneheaded mistake not yeah. to establish that yeah. before they used it. Well, and so then Lyra gives Roger the little pep talk about finding the the severed children. Right. Um, which he does. And, man, those shaped heads were... Yeah, when did they just like, oh, yes, not only are we cutting off your demon, but we're going to shave your head. And it's almost as if they said, we got to shave the kids' heads who have their demons excised. Or what's the word? I forget. There's a verb they use. Severed. Severed. Yeah. Uh, Because otherwise we won't know. We won't be able to tell them apart from the other kids because we're not doing demons. we're not doing demons. (laughs) I will say, I think my favorite moment from this entire episode was when Lyra goes into the... uh, surgery room and or the control room for the surgery room and pans like what are you doing and she just goes (laughs) i'm gonna push every button until something happens because as a live radio broadcast operator person i often feel like that's what i'll do in there it's just like push as many (laughs) buttons as possible till something happens it is somewhat bothersome to me that just as you can make a door panel do whatever you want it to do in the moment by smashing it yeah uh, it does seem weird that all of these devices and all of these movies, going back to, I don't know, Dr. No, <laughs> that all of the villains' evil devices have some way of making them blow themselves up. Right. If, if you, you push, push the right buttons. buttons. Oh, you yeah. just leave the door open and push this button. It will explode. Yeah, it's going to be great. You know, I'm not an engineer. <laughs> I don't pretend to be one, but I would imagine that a basic thing of engineering is don't build in a way to blow the thing up if you just press the right sequence of buttons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We did also get a voicemail from a listener who was just very concerned that Lyra seemed very clever in most of the episode until she stuck around a little too close to the explosion time. I will say my one complaint is Lyra seems pretty smart, but when things are exploding, please just run away. I might have been yelling at my TV screen um, during the whole escape scene. It's like, yeah. you got to get out of there. you got to get out of there. But then again, how does she know it's going to explode? Because she pushed the right button. Yeah, she pushed the sequence of buttons that makes it explode <laughs> that all sinister <laughs> devices must have by law. And that's the point where the Egyptians show up. We got Ma Costa. Yeah. We got yeah, she has her. she has her Molly Weasley moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting that. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. Did it? Does it strike you that... It's interesting that the American is the one with the gun. Uh, oh, I mean, that's classic British everything. Yeah. Is that all yeah. Americans, I if... Suppose. Yeah, in Doctor Who, every American is a doofus with a gun. Yeah, and and, and we are, we mentioned earlier when Lee Scoresby showed up that he's kind of a British imagination of a classic Texan. Yeah. A long cowboy with his long, you know, yeah. six-shooter. Yeah. So, I guess it makes sense. It worked. Yeah. It worked for y'all. Also, it made him useful. It did make him extremely useful, but not as useful as Serafina Pecola. Oh, yeah. What was that? (laughs) I loved that. Did you? She shows up and just instantly kills. Just like. She's Nightcrawler. Pieces out. She's like, you're welcome. Yeah. Although it struck me as being almost too powerful. Yeah. Right. Like if, if somebody can do that, can like instantly kill a room full of enemies with they don't have a chance and she doesn't even break a sweat then she's like a super weapon that will ruin the interest in any fight that she's yeah. in. It's a little bit like Captain Marvel. We were like, well, where have you been then? Yeah. Or Serafina X Machina, I guess. Would be yeah. Right. Yes, Very exactly. Very good, Greta. Thank you, Peter. Yeah. And that seemed, and, and we also remember that in the book, there are a lot of witches. Yes. And this, there like seems a, to be only one. Crew. Well, yeah. she did hint earlier when she was talking to Farter Quorum that the witches are split. Yeah. And so that could, kind of could justify yeah. that. 
I that that was also the moment where I noticed that the alarm lights were mm-hmm. still flashing, but yeah. the alarm sound had stopped, which right. seemed a little incongruous. Maybe the alarm for the sound was just too annoying. Drama of the scene. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure would have been annoying. I just thought it was a funny inconsistency. I also did think it was strange that they sort of, as soon as the Tartars were killed by the witch, they were like, the fight is over. And no one was like, get Mrs. Coulter. Where is Mrs. Yes. Coulter? And yes. she was able yes. to just slip away. Yeah. Yes, that does seem and like And where did she go and how did she slip away? And did her airship that she came by, was it still moored? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And how much credibility does she lose that this whole experiment blew up? Yeah, quite literally. literally. I'm just imagining the magisterium saying to her, so the thing blew up when you pushed a lot of buttons. And she says, yes. She says, do you think maybe you should have designed your machine so it didn't blow up when you pushed a lot of buttons? She said, well, we didn't think of I'm that. I'm glad you're fixating on that. I am. That's great. <laughs> yes. And then uh, Roger gets to meet Yorick and Lee, which is a pretty cute little scene. That was scene. pretty cute. I'm a, I'm a little annoyed. It's not just that Yorick isn't shown cutting people in half with his claws, that he has his, his presence is mostly comic. You're welcome, Lyra. I, when he, uh, I, I liked it. I liked it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I stand Yorick, as the kids say, and I kind of, one of the things I like about him is that he's not sentimental or funny. Oh, but the, he, I think he's very sentimental. I think he loves Lyra so much. And I haven't seen it in the show so much, but in the books, like, the bond between Lyra and Yorick yes. is like almost no other friendship in those books. But the reason it's so meaningful is because he has no other sentiment or irony to him. That's, yeah. Uh, it is worth noting that moment more or less is where the movie ends. At the breakout from Bolvanger? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Like she she's with Roger and they're like, okay, let's go see my dad. And it's like this cute, that's it? hopeful ending. And they don't find Yeah, no, Daniel that's Craig. the what? end of... The movie that seems weird, which was really surprising because that's yeah. not at all the end of the book. Yeah, and and I this is something I wanted to talk about, but I don't want to talk about in detail because there are spoilers for people who haven't read the books. Yeah, but there is something coming up that is the end of the book that I can only assume they're headed toward here because it's all playing across the same beats. In, in which Lyra does something that is, in a way, justified by everything she's done up until that moment. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder how it's going to play, given how different Lyra has been. Yeah. That's all I can say. And if you're a book okay. reader, you know what I, I mean. I guess that's not... I was worried that we were just going to have to tell Justin to, to cut that, that out. So then Lyra and Roger get in the hot air balloon with Lee Why? and Yorick. I mean, I let me put it this way. I found it so confusing. <laughs> why, he says. That I don't know. I mean, why do they... Why do those four characters, Lee, Yorick... Uh, Roger and Lyra get into the balloon to fly off. Where are they going? Well, Why are they no one to else To free Asriel. To free Asriel, which yeah. just happens to be with the armored bears. Mm-hmm. So Yorick's probably useful. Yeah. And they need the balloon and Lee drives the balloon. And was there any, did I miss it? Was there any conversation about like, yes, you, Lyra, a child should take this other child and only you four should go and do this. Well, Is she kind of talks to Ma Costa. Doesn't that kind of accomplish that where... Ma's like, you got to keep, like, you're not done. You got to keep moving. Right. And I just keep remembering the prior scenes in which the Egyptians at least were depicted as being, Lyra, you can't go. What are you talking about? Or have they now, like, said, oh my God, Lyra, you uh, got captured. You have broken these kids out. Clearly, you're a much more formidable person than we thought you were. I don't know. I Therefore, think they, you go do this too. I think they always honored the fact that Lyra was on her own mission. But don't you remember all the you dumb know? things with the Egyptians saying, Lyra, you can't go do by yourself? That's ridiculous. Yeah. Now they're like, ah, go in a balloon, take another kid. We're well, cool. Well, that was because they didn't quite believe the alethiometer, I think. I don't think it was like they're trying to boss Lyra around. Well, as I usual, we turn didn't... to our, our experimental control and say, Trish, did it make sense to you? <laughs> I mean, 
in terms of it just being a, a young adult reader uh, hero's journey, yes. Now all my favorite characters who I continue to care yeah. about are in the same hot air balloon. I'm cool with right. that. <laughs> Which is important and, yeah. and has its pleasures. Uh, and, you know, and that's and, – and by the way, I should say that that happens in the book, that they get – those four characters yeah, get in right. the balloon. I don't know. Did Roger go in the balloon? I don't remember. And then they're attacked by cliff yeah. ghasts and Lyra falls out I of the balloon. So that's all, that's all canon. Yeah. And we – let's listen to the scene when Serafina shows up to chat with Lee because I yes. feel like that's, a, that's another pretty big one. And I will say sparks flying in that scene. Mm-hmm. What kind you of sparks? You think so? You know, a couple Little flirty sparks? I think there's flirty sparks between Serafina and Lee. I'm just saying. Yeah, you're not the only person to say that. Yeah, I thought so too. She matters more than she can ever know. The fate of more than this world depends on her. Well, I had a contract with the Egyptians over what was accomplished in Bolvanger. This, this seems like a whole new thing, which requires, if I'm honest, new contracts and new payments. She will need you, Lee. You know, a man should have a choice whether to take up arms or not. And you need her. It's not how I expected this conversation to go. Is it not? No, I was hoping you would find a way of chucking me some danger money. Instead, you blindsided me with... with love. Good. Could could the listeners hear me roll my eyes just then? Yeah, yeah, I think I think they just the up muscles in my eyes rolling them so hard oh, that man. they made a noise. But the phrase "chucking me some danger money," chucking oh me some danger God. money, that, yes, which is great. <laughs> it's amazing. Immediately undercut and diminished by, yeah. but you blindsided me <laughs> with love. Uh, yeah, I, little... I will blame the writing on that more than yeah, the acting. No, we're not going to pick on Lin Manuel for having to deliver that ridiculous line. <laughs> They've known each other for like a week. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know that in, you know, uh, uh, let me put it this way, a tell that the writing is not what it should be is when characters have to say things like that. When they describe their feelings about someone to a third person. Oh, yeah. man, I really love this person. We shouldn't need to hear him say that. It should be clear that that is the case. Yeah. Well, I think another another listener pointed out to us, too, that like it might have worked better if we actually had had kind of a Han Solo arc where initially he was just in it for the money, mm-hmm. but then he was won over enough that yeah. he knew he needed to do it because it was the right thing to do. But as we And discussed, that's what that scene was trying to accomplish, but it didn't quite right. get there the way that it should And have. as we discussed when, when Lee Scoresby first showed up, he's he's now depicted and acted as a total charming love ball. Love, love ball? Love ball is what you said. <laughs> I know. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> We're not going to edit that one. Yeah. Well, you, you, I mean, he's just like this charming, pleasant ball of loveliness. I can't okay. make this any better. Okay. You know what I mean, though. Yeah, it's he like was, an aura thing. He was never a rogue. He was never like somebody who had a heart that needed to be melted. Right. He was just this lovable guy who you knew was just going to love and be loved. That's his place in this show. So it's not a surprise. As you say, it would have been more interesting if he had come in. If he had come in, <laughs> come in like Sam. On, what's his name? Sam, Sam Elliott. El- come in like Sam Elliott and become Lin Manuel, as opposed <laughs> to being Lin Manuel the whole time. Yeah. That would have been nice. And then we have the terrifying cliff gas. Oh, yeah. That was pretty good. I'll, I'll give him props for the cliff gas, that cool sequence where there's something going around outside oh, the balloon. They so can't tell creepy. what's going on. I also love how incongruous a armored polar bear is on a hot air balloon. Yeah. I don't know if that would work in real life. I mean, I have, polar bears are heavy. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, that's I probably know. why more people couldn't go with them also, right? Oh, yeah. yeah they could have had that yeah. discussion. Yeah. Anyway, so that was pretty cool. The cliff gas attack. 
So, yeah, what did you think of that ending? It, I mean, well, I was expecting it because it's in the book. Yeah. And it was handled pretty well. So I'll give them props for executing oh. a scene, making it, you know, just in the appropriate way we've discussed, making it scary and creepy and dangerous but not upsetting for the kids. Yeah. How many think, of the six episodes have now ended with basically Lyra maybe dying cut to black? It was a bunch of them. The one where she leaves Mrs. Coulter and gets snatched, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, the last episode before this one where she gets, well, I thought the episode was going to end with her getting snatched, and then oh, they're like, nope, you're in Bobanger. Yeah. And then this yeah. one where it's just a lot of like, oh, the protagonist is in dire situations. Wait Crazy a week. Crazy stuff is yeah. happening. You remember yeah. the phrase cliffhanger comes from scenes in which people were actually hanging off cliffs. Yeah. So at least she <laughs> fell, I guess, right? Yeah. Then technically it's not a cliffhanger. It's just a ladder she's gonna. You know what she's going to need to survive this fall? She's going to need some of that Sansa Theon snow. Oh, yes, she is. Oh, yes. The famous snow that's only half an inch thick that yep. manages to cushion your blow. At Winterfell. Well, you know, in a weird way, why not criticize him for this? <laughs> this kind of cliffhanger ending is, is the worst kind because the implied threat is she might die. She just fell from the balloon. How she awful. Can't. What if she's dead? She's not dead. She's the hero. There are two more episodes. I don't know, though. I don't think... I mean, it's not that cheap in that... Like, yeah, you know she's not going to die, but also, like, that means she's not heading where she's supposed to be. Right. And, like, how the... Can you steer a hot air balloon? No. Like, who knows that she's down there? What's she going to do? How is she going to figure it out? Like... Even without the presumption of her dying, well, I think that's still like, oh, this is definitely throwing a wrench in the plans. Like, it seemed like everything was just adorable and cute and they were just going to fly over and get her dad. But this like, is what I mean. And just turns in plain storytelling. You end it this way. You're like, oh, my God, she fell off the balloon. Is she going to survive? Well, of course she's going to survive. Yeah. A better ending to this episode would be to have, have her on the Theon Sansa Snow. Getting up, shaking her head, realizing she's in the middle of yeah. nowhere. She has nowhere she is. Yes. She's freezing to death. Yes. Go to black. Because now, okay, now the audience is left going, well, sure. how's she going to survive? How's she going to get out of there? What's yeah. going to happen? Yeah. Which is a more legitimate thing to wonder than, is she going to live? Because of course she's going to live. Yeah, that's fair. I accept. <laughs> but I won't say you're right. I can't believe that I'm about to say these words aloud. I agree with Peter. <laughs> so two episodes left. She is somewhere two she's not supposed left. to be. Right. And I mean, there's got to be a bit more James McAvoy at some point. Yes. We didn't stick around this long to not have any more James McAvoy. And I want some more bears. Oh, if let me put it this way. I'm relatively confident that all of your wishes will come true, Trisha. You're going to yes. get some bears. Yep. More, right. There'll be more bears and more James McAvoy. And Aren't they're you? all good things. I think I'm that's, trying to end on a positive if, note. If, <laughs> if the reason we haven't had like incidental demons is because we're going to get some awesome bear stuff, I am... I am for it. Like, in the same way that Game of Thrones, they were always like, we can't have more direwolves because we're spending all our money on dragons. I was like, all right, I, I will take this trade. <laughs> it's a fair trade. Yeah, Trisha, I think that's a really good point. And that will be our question for our listeners this week. So if you are cool with not seeing as many demons, if it means bears, or if you're on side demon, let us know. Record yourself on your phone and then send us an email to nerdatrecaps at gmail.com. That should do us, y'all. The show is produced by us with help from Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. And our theme music was composed by the amazing Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. We are at Nerdat Podcast on Twitter. Trisha is Trisha Bobita. I am Greta M. Johnson. And Peter is Peter Segel. And you can also use the hashtag Nerdat Recaps. You can. You should. Yes. Talk to y'all later.
Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.